Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Singing the Lamb has overcome. Boy, we're going to see that today uh, for sure as we look to the Word. Um, do you remember what it was like to be a kid? I guess you guys awake out there today. You remember what it was like to be a kid? Now, I know some people had some really, really terrible things happen in their childhood, and, and I'm always sorry about that, and, and we always stand ready to help you with that, okay? But generally speaking, for most of us, the idea when we think about when we were kids, life was just, it was exciting, wasn't it? Did you need an alarm clock to get up in the summertime as a kid? No, you didn't, right? And there was always something to do. There was energy to bring. So Dave and Debbie and, and Glenda and any of you who have ever worked with children in ministry, do they get excited? Absolutely. And you can get them excited, right? And, and, and you say, let's, let's all cheer or let's sing. And they, they do it and they're ready to go. And, and man, this, this, the energy level is just high and it's, it's very catchy. And then we get a group of people like you. <laughs> And me, <laughs> okay? Not just you, uh, but we, something happens to us when we get older, don't we? Okay, you know, now, you know. In fact, you know when someone's starting to transition into adulthood because they no longer want to get up before the alarm clock in the morning, right? Teenagers, right? They start, you know, it just all starts to, to go away. And, but being an adult is great too, many, many things, many very positive things about it. But there's something about being young, I mean, Seemed to me like, you know, we went out and, and conquered the world every day, you know? That's uh, just the way it was. Well, um, there's something about the church back in the beginning. And let's talk about this. When the church was young, we're going we're gonna to begin for the next several weeks talking about when the church was young. There was a, a qualitative difference to what was going on with them. Because think about this. There is no logical humaning, human reasoning way to explain how Christianity survived. Right? There was a few people in a backwater country in the world. An uh, uneducated, uh, you know, no, no money. Nothing. Just a relationship with Jesus. In fact, early on, early on, the, the religious leaders that day, when they wanted this stopped, and they, they had the uh, disciples before them, yes, after Jesus is risen and ascended to heaven, they had the disciples before them, and they're trying to figure out what's going on. And it says, and they took note that these guys had been with Jesus. And that was what was different. That was the big difference. But so when the church was young, there, I think there's a lot of parallels to what it was like when we were young, when kids are young, right? And the excitement and the energy and man, they, they, you know, you tell kids, hey, let's go do this. And they'll go, yeah, let's go do it. I mean, uh, and so I think the church survived because of some of those qualities. I mean, obviously it was God's working, God's doing, right? But what God was doing in these people 
was very much similar to what goes on in a young person, a, you know, a child. And so we want to begin taking a look at this. I mean, when we not only talk about Christianity surviving, uh, it is the largest religion in the world, 2.3 billion adherents. Now, we know that they aren't all born again. They don't all, you know, haven't been all saved, but there are adherents to it from that. I mean, so we, what we want to do is try to get down to what was it about the church when it was young and just like I think, wouldn't it do us good as adults sometimes to recapture some of those things from what it meant to be young? All right. Well, so it would be for the church, for us, to recapture some of those things when they were young. And so what we're going to look at today is see that when the church was young, that they were obsessed with the news. Say obsessed with the news. I mean, have you ever known anybody who's obsessed with the news? Anybody in here tend to have a tendency you could be that way? Anybody besides me? Most of you don't want to admit it, right? Some of us, we do, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can just, I, I get in the news and I'm thinking about it, what it means, what's going to apply, what's going to happen. Man, I can get obsessed with that. And um, it's not all bad, <laughs> but it can be bad. But the, the church, when it was young, was obsessed with the news in a different, a different kind of news. So let's just, let's just take a quick survey through the book of Acts and see what was this news that they were obsessed with. So right there in Acts chapter 2, we see that they could, after they had, the gospels been preached, they've been saved. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching. Continued steadfastly. In words, they didn't miss it because they were hearing things from the apostles that they had not heard. They were coming to understand things that the apostles were teaching that they had not understood before about God, about his son Jesus, about themselves, how to have a relationship, how to be forgiven, all of these things. And so they did not want to miss that, okay? And then in, uh, they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now, we think word of God, Bible. They did not have this at that time, okay? The Old Testament was written down. It was in scrolls, mostly in synagogues. Uh, but at this point in time, they had, what they had, when they talk about the word of God, they're talking about the message of God about Jesus, that the Messiah has come. Here's what he's done. Here's what it means in your life. And so they spoke about that with boldness. They were excited about it. Okay, let's continue. And daily, in the how often? Daily, in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching of Jesus as the Christ. Now, we tend to think of teaching in a formal sense, and it can be. And we think of preaching in a formal sense, and it can be. I'm preaching up here today. But um, when the, the word that's translated preaching really just means to declare or to say. Okay? So can one person do that to another? Can one person say, listen, the, the Messiah has come, and it was Jesus. Okay? Uh, that's preaching. So that's what they're talking about. They aren't talking about they were having church services and someone was always up front, you know, giving the sermon. Although that was happening. Okay. But daily, they did not cease. And then the word of God spread. This message spreads. Continue. Go ahead. And then as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So persecution. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere. What? 
preaching the word, declaring the truth. Jesus, the Messiah has come. The Savior of the world has come. Here's how you can know him. Here's what it means in your life. Here's how it affects how you live. On and on it goes. Everywhere they went. Why? Why would they do this? I mean, do we have the same message? Do we have the same message? It's not a trick question. Do we have the same message? We do. In fact, we have probably more of it than most of them did. Are we everywhere we go talking about it? Maybe sometimes, right? But I think this is an area where we all tend to lack. And I understand that there's lots of dynamics in life and trying to figure that out. But I want you to see, I'll bet you that those of us who raised our hand, who were willing to raise our hand and say we get obsessed with the news, we, we talked about that. Right? We talk about it. Because you tend to talk about what? What you're obsessed with, what you're, what you're working on, what's going over and over in your mind, what's happening. Those are the things that you tend to talk about. All right? So let's continue. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scripture preached Jesus to him. So he meets this uh, official from Ethiopia and he's, the official from Ethiopia is reading the Old Testament trying to understand it. And so what does Philip do? He says, oh, here's the message. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Okay? And so he, he talks about that. To Jesus, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. They're talking about Jesus and the forgiveness of sins. Let's continue, Acts chapter 11. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. It made sense. Jewish Messiah, they're going to the Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. And the power of the Lord was with them. And a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. So this message that Jesus, once again, they couldn't even, they couldn't just keep it to themselves. They couldn't just keep it to us, the Jews. It's like, wait a minute, let's tell them. Let's tell them about it. And people get saved. And now you have a whole new group of people that are, are hearing this message and who are excited about this news. Let's continue. So it was that for a whole year, this is in Antioch, they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So Paul and Barnabas are teaching about Jesus. Who is he? Uh, I mean, we've, so many of us have been around it for so long that sometimes when we hear the message about Jesus, we go, oh yeah, yeah, I know that. But that's not the way it was for these folks. They're like, wow, what a, tell me more, right? I want to know more. What, is it, what does this mean in my life? What does it mean in my relationships? How do I live this out? What's going to happen to me? What can I expect? And, and so now they got a lot more people. But it was built around this what? This news that they were proclaiming. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. That's that news again. And they were preaching the gospel there, the good news there. Let's go to the next one. And he continued there. This is in Corinth. A year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And people are coming. They're hungry. They want to hear. They want to know. And he's talking about it. And he, he, he sent for, oh, this is a, uh, one of the officials at the trial of Paul. And it says, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning not the charges that were up against Paul, but he brought him because he wanted to hear about this thing about Jesus concerning the faith. And he said, how, how, how did he even know that was something? Well, it's because Paul and whoever else was talking about it. 
It was news. And so he hears about it. He says, well, I want to hear more about this. And so he calls for Paul. Then Agrippa said to Paul, this is King Agrippa, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. So here we have Paul on trial. Uh, things could go really bad if he's found guilty of what he's being accused of. And what does Paul take the opportunity to do? Talk about Jesus. Share the message, this news that everybody needs to hear and understand. And then we come down to the end of the book of Acts. Paul is in jail, so to speak, but he gets to live in his own house. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him. And what did they talk about when they came to visit? Preaching or declaring the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. The book of Acts covers 28 years of history. For 28 years, this is still big news. The church is young and it is excited about Jesus. Excited about what he's come to do in our lives. Excited about what it means to know him. And so excited that it controls how they did it. Now, now, normally when we think about Jesus, we think about this word, the gospel, right? So let's look at some other passages that talk about. Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received. I declare the gospel. And by the way, he goes on and elaborates. He says, the gospel is this, that Jesus came, Son of God came, and, and he died for our sins, and he rose again, all foretold by the scriptures. Okay? And so he died for us, rose again, that we might be forgiven for our sins. Now, if you're here today, and, and you know, you may have heard that a hundred times, but maybe you're here today and you think, you know, I, I don't think I have what we're talking about them having. Because <laughs> my life has never been changed like that. You know, maybe you need to once and for all say, okay, God, I, I don't know where I've, where I've been, but right now I'm settling this forever. I trust Jesus. Okay, I want to be made alive inside, have forgiveness of sins. And, and, and you can do that. Just do that any moment. Do it right now. For those of you who are watching, the same thing. If you need help, reach out to us, okay? We'll be glad to help you think through this and, and see what decision you need to make in response to the gospel, okay? So Paul continues talking about his ministry and he says this, that we came with the gospel of Christ. We came to preach the gospel, okay? Continue. I preach the gospel of God to you and that I may, he's asking for prayer, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the gospel. This is the news, okay? So let's look at a couple Greek words here. One is euangelizo, where we get our English word evangelized, but it means to announce good news. Okay, preaching the God, announcing good news. As we're gonna see, announcing the news that you are obsessed with, okay? And so, another word, euangelion, literally means gospel, but gospel means the good news. All right, so when we see what they're proclaiming and what they're talking about, and Paul says, we preach the gospel, we preach the gospel, we preach the gospel, we share the gospel, the gospel changed your lives, the gospel, it is this good news. And what I want you to see is that the early church, when the church was young, it was obsessed. When the church was young, it, its members and its leaders were all obsessed with this. Now, we typically think of obsessed 
Someone being obsessed is normally in a negative light, right? That person's obsessed with that. But it doesn't have to be that. One of the definitions for obsession is this. It's the domination of one's thoughts or feelings by a persistent idea, image, desire. Persistent idea. It doesn't go away. It persists. It persists. It persists. And so you have your thoughts, your feelings dominated by this persistent idea. And it is the gospel. And so when the church was young, it was obsessed with this good news. And, and the, the question that we need to answer for ourselves is, is, am I obsessed with this good news? Are you obsessed with the good news? Are we obsessed together with the good news? This is one of those things, characteristics of the youthfulness of the church that we need to regain. We need to recapture that youthfulness to where we are obsessed. We can't let go of it with this good news. Now, this morning, we are going to look at 31 good news truths for believers to obsess over. Now, uh, before I just talk about it a minute, let me say to you, when I, I think, I preached a sermon when I was I can't remember, a very young teenager at the church I grew up in. I didn't know the Lord yet, but I preached a sermon because it was Juice Sunday and they, they asked me to do it, and so I did it. Uh, God knows what he was doing, obviously. Um, but then I think the second sermon I ever preached, I preached uh, after I got saved. I think it was on a Sunday night at the Baptist church I was going to, and the pastor asked me to preach, and he gave he access to his library, and I found a, a sermon that was 20 Steps to Revival. And I took that, and I preached 20 Steps to Revival to those folks on Sunday night. I think they thought it was 20 Steps to Eternity. Because you're not supposed to do 20 points in a sermon. And I went to school, they told me three points, you know, this is pretty good. Four points, yeah, sometimes. Five points, you know, maybe just a few times a year, five points. Six times, man, not very much. Seven or more, once in a lifetime. Well, I've already done 20. <laughs> Today we're going to hit 31. Okay? So I just know that we are going to be bumping along over the top of a bunch of these. But we are going to look at Scripture along the way, okay? And so we're going to look at three things, categories. What God has done for us, what the, this good news, what God has done for us, and then what is true for us now because of that, and then what the future holds for us because of this. We want to, we want to see what is this good news. And by the way, 31, you know, I combined a few of them to get 31. Uh, and there's a whole lot more, I'm sure, okay? But these 31 are very, very powerful. So, Let's get started. Let's talk about what has God done for us, what God has done for us. And let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. No, 2 Corinthians, I think. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Down in verse number 19. In this passage, Paul's talking about what happens to us when we got saved, how we got saved, what God did for us to get saved. In verse 19, he says, that is, and here it is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them 
and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. But right before that, okay, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. So he's saying that when Jesus died on the cross for us, he, um, God was in the process of removing every obstacle between us and him for us to be saved and for us to be forgiven. And there's still one obstacle, and that's that we have to believe. But God has removed everything else. Think about that. Every sin, every sinful feeling, the nature that we have, our struggles to believe, all that kind of stuff. He was removing all of those obstacles. And that's got to be the best news there is almost, isn't it? If there was no other good news, would that be good news? That he's removed everything, all we have to do is believe. All we have to do is believe. Good. So another one. There are no more indictments of sin to condemn us. He has removed them all. Indictments, the idea of written charges. It talks about there was handwriting of ordinances against us, and he has removed those. So there are no charges written down against you anywhere anymore. Can you, if, you had a, if you had a little bit of criminal stuff in your background and you knew there were some charges lingering in the window, wouldn't you always be, oh no, there's charges left? There aren't any. Not between you and God. He's, he's, he's taken them away. No more indictments. Uh, go on. We are redeemed through his blood and all of our sins are forever forgiven. Forever. How long? How many? You guys, I want you to act a little more youthful today. <laughs> All right. So how many of our sins forgiven? For how long? That's right. Okay. And then we have been delivered from the power of darkness and placed into Christ's kingdom. We were under the influence and in the kingdom of Satan in darkness. Not on purpose. We just were. But he has delivered us from that. No longer we underbind that. Okay, let's go to the next one. Jesus has qualified us to receive the inheritance reserved for the saints in heaven, for the holy ones in heaven. I'm not qualified for that. Well, wait a minute. Yes, I am. Why? Jesus has qualified me. That's big news, guys. It's not my qualification. He has done it. He has qualified me for this. And we are sealed by the Holy Spirit as a guarantee that we will receive this inheritance. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. And the page numbers are up there if you need to use the, the Bible under the chairs there. Verse number 13. Paul writes, In him, talking about Christ, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. He is the guarantee of our inheritance. And he says, that moment when we believe, what happened? He sealed us. He moved in and sealed, shut, closed. He's not leaving, and you're not leaving him. You are forever sealed by the Holy Spirit. Is that good news to you or not? Have you ever found yourself living like this stuff isn't true? Yeah, but guess what? It's still true. The Holy Spirit still seals you. 
You still belong to him. If you're living a life here today that it's a double life and people don't know, you can turn back. Turn back and walk with the Lord because you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. He is the guarantee of that. Okay, go ahead. God guarantees full completion of everything related to our salvation. It is a done deal. We aren't going to look it up. We won't take the time, but it says this. For whom God foreknew. He, he, he knew ahead of time who would believe. Okay, he knew about me, knew about you, that we would believe. For whom God foreknew, he pre, also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, we're not talking about being predestined to heaven or to hell. No. Those who are on their way to heaven because they believed he has now predestined us, not only for heaven, but to become like Jesus. Okay? And, and whom he predestined, he also called. Remember, he called you. And whom he called, he justified. He made you right with God. And whom he justified, he glorified. Well, wait a minute. That seems like that hasn't happened yet. Well, all of these words are in the past tense because from God's perspective, it's all settled. Your salvation is all settled forever. Is that good news? Absolutely good news, right? Our relationship with God is guaranteed to become everything God intended for it to be. He started this good work. He's faithful. He's going to complete it. And then God uses everything in our lives to accomplish his perfect purposes for us. We know that verse. He works all things together for his good in our lives. Uh, man, that's good to know, isn't it? Amen. Any lousy stuff happen in your life? Well, God doesn't waste it. He puts it to good use. Okay? All right, then let's continue. Well, actually, we're going to do something different now. What is true for us now? Okay, so these are all things that God did up front, so to speak. Okay, now that we believe, here's some things that are now true for us. We are new creations. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We were already there earlier, and I should have told you to keep it marked. Where did it go? There it is. Yep. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 again, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, how many things have become new? All things have become new. You say, what in the world? How is that? Didn't seem like that. Nothing, everything didn't change for me. Now, the moment you got saved, you became a new creation. When, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, they died that means their spirit died because they stood there breathing, living and talking. But that innermost part of them that was that part where you can have a direct and personal relationship with God died to God. And that produced all sorts of junk with sin and problems in, in their lives and sin and problems in the world. And on and on it goes, multiplied all the way up to today. Okay? And so we start off dead to God as well. But that moment that we believe the Holy Spirit moves in, his life moves in, and we are no longer dead, but become alive. And inside our spirit, that core of our being, our identity, we are new. Completely new. And, and that begins to work its way out into our lives, okay? But we are new creations. And, and it's... It, it's given us this brand new life that persists in us. Doesn't go away. Then we now have 
the righteousness of God within because Jesus became sin for us. That's what it says in verse 21. He took our sin, he hung on the cross as though he were us, paying the penalty for our sins so that we get his righteousness. That seemed like a fair exchange. It's not a fair exchange. It's a very out of balance exchange. But what it is, it's a love exchange, isn't it? A love exchange. We were naturally God's enemies, but now we are at peace with him through Jesus' blood. And then uh, one more, I think. Yeah, we are now God's prized possession. Uh, the things that are the most valuable to, them, to you, do you take care of them? Right? The more valuable something is, the more likely you are to take care of it. And we are God's prized possessions. All right, let's go to the next one. We, are, we no longer need to fear Satan or those who serve him. You say, well, I don't think I was ever afraid of him. Well, you probably should have been because you didn't understand. He wanted to send you to hell. And now if he can't send you to hell, he wants to destroy you. But the idea is we don't have to be afraid of him. Jesus take care of him. You know, we need to pursue our relationship with Jesus. We are no longer spiritually dead. I already talked about that, but very much alive both now and forever with Christ. Uh, go on. We have eternal life with Christ and we have it now. Let's look at that. John chapter 3. We know these verses. Let's start in verse 15. Jesus explained to Nicodemus, he says, that whoever believes in him, the Son of Man himself, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Okay? And so we tend to think, okay, yeah, I got saved. I can say, thankfully, I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. All right. But it's more than that. This life thing is not just about going to heaven. Let's move over uh, a couple pages to chapter 5. In verse 24, he's kind of summing up what he's been teaching here. And he says this, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. Has. Now we might still think, well, yeah, okay, I got it. It'll start when I die. But that's not what he means. Has everlasting life. And what? And shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. So on April 4th, 1975, close to 10 o'clock at night, I was spiritually dead, and then a few moments later, I had already passed from being spiritually dead to eternal life. I already had it, because whose life do I have in me? Who, it's, it's God's life, right? The life of Christ, the whole, I have that life. And is he eternal? Yes, he is. yes, so I now have eternal life in me already. I'm not waiting for something to happen. Because, you know, if you're waiting for something to happen, what if it doesn't happen? I'm telling you, it's already happened. When you receive Jesus as Savior. Okay, let's continue. We are already citizens of the Lord's heavenly kingdom. You're already a citizen. And do citizens have rights? And privileges, yes, we already have those, okay? Now you think about, see, I wrote something down here. I want to just remind myself about that. Yes, think about people who want to come to the United States. 
from all over the world, right? And, and they, where they're coming from, you know, is, is bad enough that they are willing oftentimes to try to, if they got to come in illegally, right? Because they want what is here. They want it so bad, right? And they're, they're hoping they can get it. Or maybe they come and apply and hope that they can somehow read it again. But what I want to tell you is that we've already been accepted into the heavenly kingdom. We're already citizens. We already are. Okay. Our relationship with Jesus provides us with everything we need. We're complete. Paul talking to the church that was, kept thinking there had to be something more, had to be something more. And he says, no, no, no. He says, and you are complete in him. Everything you need to have a relationship with God, everything you need to live a life that pleases God and that will be a blessing to you. It's, you have it already. Now, you don't necessarily always know that, I mean, you can know that fact, but you don't always see it or understand it or feel like it, but it's true. And that'll change you when you start to believe that. If you think, I don't have what it takes, you're wrong. You do, because if you have Jesus, you have whatever it takes. Okay, let's continue. We have already been made holy, blameless, and above reproach in God's sight. Let's take a look at that. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21. It says, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, okay, that's the way it used to be, yet now he has reconciled, we talked about that, in the body of his flesh through death. Why? To present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. You are already holy. You are, in God's sight, you're already holy. In God's sight, you are now blameless. Because you know what? He's not going to blame you for what Jesus already paid for. Right? Above reproach. I mean, this is, and these are already kinds of truths. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to look at several things in Ephesians 1. Okay, it says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So let's just, same thing we talked about a minute ago when we talked about predestined. Okay, he chose us in him. In other words, he chose everybody who believed in Jesus. Who's going to get saved? Who am I going to do this great work of forgiveness in? I'm going to do it in, in every person who comes to believe. That means they're in Christ, they're in him. So he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, before he ever created, he knew us. <laughs> Have you ever started to think about a project, to work on a project, and you sat and thought about it, and you thought it was what it was going to entail, what it was going to cost, and, and you said, I decided I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Wouldn't you think God might have done that with us? But he didn't. No, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be what? Holy and without blame before him in love. In other words, that is the reality inside of me, deep down inside of me, in my spirit. I am holy. How much sin is left in there? None. Okay? We're new creations, right? All things in there. So there's no sin left deep down inside there. I am holy. I am blameless. I am without reproach. I'm filled with his love, all that kind of stuff. And then I got to come out somehow. 
I gotta work at it. Let me just say this real quick. It's like um, if someone owns a house and they have all their stuff in the house and then they die and you get the house and you move into the house, okay? But they left all their stuff. All their wardrobes are there, everything in the attic is there, everything in the kitchen, everything is there, okay? It's not your stuff, you're bringing new stuff. And so what do you gotta do? Even the clothes in the drawers, right? I mean, what do you gotta do? You gotta begin moving that stuff out to make room for what is yours. Well, that's the way we are as Christians, see? When we come to Christ, the old us died with Jesus, we died, but we got a new us, new creation. And with Jesus, we have all this new stuff. But in this house, the old person left a lot of junk, a lot of crud that needs to go. And so this is what our, our lives about. This is how we, you know. And so we look at this and we go, oh, I'm not holy. I'm not blameless. I'm not. No, 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 no. You are. This is stuff you just got has to go now because it's not yours anymore. It's not who you are anymore. And you got to come to understand that. And let me tell you what a world of difference it is when you look at your life in a problem and you say, okay, the difference from saying, I'm the problem. I, I don't have what it takes. I, I'm a mess. Now, how well are you going to do if you believe that? You're not going to do well if you believe that. But if you say, you know what? I'm not the mess. God has already changed my heart. And I need to, to work on this. And he's given me what I need to work on. I can, world of difference, how you view your life as a Christian really, really does matter. All right. Uh, we're now God's adopted children. It says in verse five, we are completely accepted. By God. Completely accepted, completely accepted. Even the person that you love most in this life, there are times when you don't want to tell them something that happened or something that you did, Right? But with the Lord, you are completely accepted. Completely. All right? And then we are secure because Christ is holding on to us more than we're holding on to him. Such good news. Uh, Christ and the Holy Spirit lives in us now and forever. Okay? And then the next one. Go ahead. Deep inside, we are now perfect. And the Lord is working to help us experience that reality. Again, for time's sake, I'm not going to look it up, but let me tell you what it says. It says that Jesus, by his, the offering of himself, he says, forever perfected. We are forever perfected. But then he said, those who are being sanctified. Well, wait a minute. If you're still being sanctified, are you perfect? Well, so what's the deal? What he's telling us is that this inward reality who we are in Christ, where Christ indwells us, in, in our spirit, the Holy Spirit there with us. He has perfected us. And now he's in the process of sanctifying us. And what does that mean? It means he's cleaning out the closets, pulling out the drawers, the new furniture moving in, new way of doing it, right? He's bringing that perfect reality outward into our lives, okay? Crucial, we understand that. The Holy Spirit is doing this work. He produces Christ's character in us. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I bet the list is bigger than that. Okay, these are things that he is definitely doing. All right, so we see where we're at now, man. Are you, 
more, this is not theologically correct. Are you more saved now than you were 15 minutes ago? I'm not asking a theological question. It's not a trick question. I am. I mean, I'm still the same saved. But you understand? I think I get it more. I get it. What has he done? He's really done it. It's really, really true. It's true right now. I got to believe it and live it. Wow, I think I could become obsessed with this. Okay, what does the future hold for us? When this life ends, heaven with the Lord and our loved ones is our destiny. He says forever we will be with him and, and those that we go to meet. Okay, go on. While this life is good and sometimes great, our heavenly destiny will be so much better. In Philippians 1, 23, he's, he's, Paul's talking about, I'm in jail and I don't know if I'm going to live or die. He says, you know, I'm, I'm kind of stuck between, I don't know which I would choose if I got to choose. He says, I could go and be with Christ. He says, which is far better? Or I could stay here and I think God wants me to stay here. The, the language is there. In English it says, far better. Okay, uh, did I write this down? Yeah, I did. I want to remember the exact words. Yes, in the Greek language where this is translated, literally, you have better, and then you have very much. That's another word, very much. But there's a third word that's missing from our translation. They, they, you know, they didn't need to put it in there. But it's, it's very much better, and then they put, he puts this word right in the middle, more. It's very much better in more than that. Okay, that's what's... So uh, there are things I enjoy in life, you know. There are hard things, but there are lots of things I enjoy. But as good as this is, when I get to be with him, it's going to be far. It's going to be very much better more. Okay. We can never lose the inheritance reserved for us in heaven. That's what Peter says there. Okay, let's go to the next one. Since we have become children of God, we are now destined to become like Jesus in his character, right? Everything that was good and positive about him when he lived as a human being, that's what he's doing in us. That's what he's conforming us to. Uh, and I just realized some of you are writing these all down. You don't have to. I've already got it all written down for you. I'm going to hand it to you afterwards, okay? Someday the Lord is going to change our sin, curse, and damaged bodies to be like his body. Boy, is that good news. Okay, and sin is still, boy, this body's still susceptible to sin, but it won't be then. It won't be. And, and any difficulties we face on earth while living for Christ will be worth it forever. Uh, Paul says, for I consider that you know, these light afflictions, <laughs> which are but for a moment, are working for us a far greater glory in heaven. Okay, so it, it's, any difficulties we suffer living for Christ and with Christ, it's, it's going to be worth it way, way more. All right? Do you see how this is a message, this is good news, and this is worth becoming obsessed with? We need to become obsessed with this. Now, that doesn't mean everything you say to every person is always going to be one of these things. That isn't the point. But we need to become so obsessed with it that you're having a conversation with somebody. Now that we see, did you know that when a person becomes a Christian, this, and they go, what are you talking about? Well, let me explain to you. <laughs> let me talk to you about it. Obsessed with the news. That is what we need to be. Um, we need to think on it every day. See how it applies to us on the inside, affecting how we live on the outside. And I think when we realize what we have, we will 
be, we will become obsessed with it. So I've, I've provided this for you two ways in a physical thing here today. One is 31, the, the truths are on here. You can stick that in your Bible. Or it's a bookmark size if you prefer, smaller print, right? But you can put that in your Bible. 31, 31, how convenient is that? You know, what if you just took every day, just pulled this out and looked at the date of the month and looked at the number and, and, and maybe read that scripture again and thought about what has God done? What's he doing? And we, need, we need to do things that are going to help us to become obsessed with this news. And if you prefer online in our, our uh, events and announcements page, there is a, uh, a, a file there you click and it's, it's designed to be easily read in your phone. Okay, where you come, and those of you who are watching us, if you're not on our events and announcements page, which is, uh, it is restricted to those who are connected here, I, I have a list on the, our public Facebook page. It's, I'm sorry, it's the best I could do. I can't upload files to that page. It doesn't allow us to do that. So let me uh, close with this. I like Stephen Curtis Chapman and his music. And he has a song, it's entitled Live Out Loud. I just want to read you the first verse in the chorus. There's a lot more we could look at, but he says this. Imagine this, I get a phone call from Regis. He says, do you want to be a millionaire? They put me on the show and I win with two lifelines to spare. Now picture this, I act like nothing ever happened and bury all the money in a coffee can. Well, I've been given more than Regis ever gave away. I was a dead man who was called to come out of the grave. And I think it's time for making some noise. Wake the neighbors. Get the word out. Come on, crank up the music. Climb a mountain and shout. This is life we've been given. Made to be lived out. Live it out loud. And if that's something you're trying to make yourself do... From scratch, it's going to be hard to do. But if you can let yourself, your mind, your heart become saturated with the gospel, this good news, and, and go over it again and again and ponder and think about what God has done for you, what does it mean? Wow, it really means that. I can believe that today. I'm being transformed as I renew my mind. It's just amazing. We become obsessed with the news. We can become much more like the church when it was young, when they turned the world upside down. Father, thank you for your word that you have, <laughs> thank you for what it says and what it means. I pray, Father, that we would become obsessed with you, your son, your spirits working in our lives and the truths of the gospel so that it is always at the forefront of our minds and with a readiness to share this awesome news that you could use us like you used that first church. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.